0: Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, a roadmap to national pharmacare.
1: Today is a giant step forward for our health
0: system. The Health Minister unveils the Pharmacare plan negotiated with New Democrats. Immediate coverage for two kinds of medications with a promise of more to come. But is a promise enough to satisfy voters who are looking for a more comprehensive program? We'll hear from the Health Minister's Parliamentary Secretary. And we'll convene our political panel to get their assessment of the deal and its merits. Plus... As of today, at
2: 11.30 p.m. Eastern, Mexican citizens will need a visa to come
0: to Canada. Changing visa requirements for Mexican tourists. We'll tell you why the Mexican president calls this a stain on his country's prestige. This is Primetime Politics. Hello everyone, I'm Michael Serapio. The federal government made a first step on a years-old promise today, introducing its roadmap for National Pharmacare. Bill C-64 is the result of negotiations between the Liberals and the NDP to develop a plan by March the 1st. Contraceptive and diabetes drugs will be the first medications covered, with the government laying out a consultation process that will then determine the scope and the mechanics for a more comprehensive plan.
1: This deal was achieved because our parties, every day, in every way, centered the conversation on how we can make things better. It was our only focus. We asked how do we stand on the shoulders of all of the advocacy and work that was done before us to find answers and not differences. We found common ground only because we put our partisan interest and consideration last. I think that's what Canadians want. They want us focused on impact. On making a difference, on finding common ground. Today is a giant step forward for our health system. It was made possible by two adversaries asking what we have in common rather than what separates us. It happened because we rolled the dice that cooperation yields more than conflict. I hope that it represents the politics of our future. It certainly made the history of today.
0: Well, with more on the plan announced today, we're joined by Yasser Nakhvi, Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Health. Uh, Mr. Nakhvi, always good to see you. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Listen, when you look at the timeline of this, it's interesting because here we have a parliament that will wrap up in about a year's time. But when you look at the details of this plan, your your timeline essentially lays out uh, a year for a committee of experts to determine how to operate and finance a public pharmacare program. Are you your party de facto kicking a decision on a public system down the road.
3: Well, uh, first of all, uh, let me just say this, Michael. I think we, we've taken a really big step in making sure that we're providing the appropriate health care that Canadians need from coast to coast to coast. Um, our farmer care is, is a is a big part of, of, of that model that has been missing. So what we're doing is, is two really important things to start with. One, the legislation that we have tabled today sets the framework uh, around how farmer care uh, should be delivered to Canadians, working along with our provinces and territories. So that legislative framework is extremely important. But number two, what we're saying is that we are going to start uh, by uh, giving uh, Canadians two really important uh, um, medications. One is uh, contraceptives, um, so that it's available to, to, to Canadians uh, free of charge. And secondly, uh, uh, medication rela- uh, rela- related to diabetes, so that people can live their full life. So we're already taking two really important steps. There's other things in that legislation as well such as the, the panel of experts that you talked about so that we can do further work around what, uh, what the national formula looks like. But right at the outset, I think we've taken a really big step forward today.
0: Uh, okay, I, I get that because, you know, diabetes, contraception, the coverage alone, as we heard it from the health minister, will be about uh, 1.5 billion, but you know, if they were on their own, uh, perhaps that would be a big announcement. But but we were talking about PharmaCare here. Uh, And and for people that, you know, have been listening to your party campaign on this more than once, this may not be the comprehensive system that they were hoping for. Is what you're presenting here truly enough for the Canadians who supported your party in the last election?
3: Well, you know, I will will say, and I said this uh, when we made the announcement, that we're choosing to be pragmatic uh, as opposed to dogmatic. Uh, We're really taking a very thoughtful and prudent way in making sure that health care Uh, for Canadians is there and this is not the only thing Michael we're doing as we come out of this pandemic to ensure that uh, public health care system is there for Canadians you take the kind of investment for instance we are making 200 billion dollars over ten years uh, across the country the investment we are making for our seniors in uh, so that they can age with dignity the Canadian dental care plan that that we have announced uh, plus the farmer care I mean we are really sort focused on making sure that the entire spectrum of healthcare is is there for canadians by establishing a framework legislation is a really important step because this has never been done in canada therefore there, therefore this is a very historic uh, piece of legislation, but we're just saying we're not going to just uh, stop at developing a framework. Let's make sure that the women in Canada have access to contraceptives so they, they, they can make choices about uh, their own lives, about their own body, and uh, the diabetes uh, medication that impacts so many Canadians is universally accessible to them
0: okay and I hear what you're saying about framework here but but I wonder, did your government back itself into a corner because you know a pharmacare was the the campaign platform on the campaign platform uh, more than once again by your party. But since then, you know, we've seen spending, a lot of spending on other programs. Did that spending essentially leave you not enough room to deliver the pharmacare that your party originally envisioned?
3: Yeah, I think we're taking a, a, very, a practical prudent approach. Um, we re- recognize that there's a lot of work that needs to happen in order to have a pharmacare, uh, uh, A plan put in place Uh, we also want to make sure that we have um, different we can compare different models Uh, uh, you know um, we we doing the uh, universal accessible uh, 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 provision of of diabetic uh, medication and and contraceptive but we're also working with with PI for instance where they have a different model uh, in place because what we want to make sure that that when we get to a point where, where we can make uh, eventual decisions, we can compare as to what model works best and will serve Canadians in the most uh, optimum way.
0: Okay, you mentioned the PEI model and that is a pilot program happening right now uh, in the province. And essentially it covers some drugs, not all, and there is a, an income threshold to actually qualify for the program. You know, there has been this, this talk amongst New Democrats that it was the Liberals just were not in favour of a public uh, system. Is that the case? Is the, the more limited model ultimately what your government wants?
3: Uh, We we want to make the best decisions in the best interest of of Canadians and that's why we want to make sure that we canvass all different models before we could decide what works best for Canadians so I think you can see this as and I think minister uh, referred to as a as a baseline that we are set, is setting we've got the PEI model uh, in place by working very closely with the NDP and by which I, and I want to say this uh, Canadians expect all political parties to work together and I think this is a really good example where two political parties the Liberals and the NDP are working together in not only developing a framework agreement uh, a process as to how to um, implement that framework uh, once uh, if passed uh, by the parliament but also having two really important uh, uh, medications available on a universal basis and then be able to compare and see what works best for Canadians.
0: Yes, Arnak, I always appreciate the time again. Thank you for this. Thank you. Today's announcement followed lengthy and often tense negotiations between the government and the NDP, with new Democrats pushing the Liberals to table framework legislation for Pharmacare by tomorrow. Here is what we heard from the NDP leader Jagmeet Singh as he reacted to the announcement today.
2: We believe our health care system needs to be there for everyone when they need it. We know that by having access to medication, it's going to save people money. It's going to help our health care system so people don't get more sick it's going to save money for provinces it's going to save money for the federal government it's a win for everyone and so I'm really proud today that we can say that we've moved forward in a significant way with just 25 MPs we we're able to historically move forward with national universal pharmacare covering birth
0: control and diabetes medication and devices and we're not stopping there <laughs> Well, joining us right now is our weekly political panel Susan Smith, principal with Blue Sky Strategy Group, Tim Powers, chair of SIMA Strategies, and Anne McGrath, principal secretary to the NDP leader, Jagmeet Singh. Nice to see the three of you.
4: Well,
0: uh, perhaps not surprising, I'm going to begin with you, Anne, (laughs) given the, the deal that was announced today. But you know, here we have, as expected, the two classes of medication being covered with a promise to do more are you disappointed that at the end of the day this was not a wider deal that covered more that instead of promising public pharmacare down the road that it was more immediate
5: so i am always disappointed that we don't get everything (laughs) for those (laughs) those who know me um but uh what i will say is that that we were supposed to just come up with a legislative framework. That was what was agreed to, was the legislative framework. But because we didn't reach an agreement by the end of uh, December, which which was the timeline in it, we agreed to extend it to tomorrow uh, as the deadline. Uh, And and in order to do that, one of the things we did was we upped the ante. We decided we were also going to try and get some classes of drugs in there. Obviously, I would like more classes of drugs, but uh, this is more than was actually in the supply and confidence agreement. Mm-hmm.
0: So, more than the supply and confidence agreement, you know, l- let's stick on drugs for a second here, and, and I'm going to get you in here, Susan, because. Them <laughs> <or> <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm not paying for them. Okay. But, <laughs> but, you know, of, of course, the Liberals campaigned on Pharmacare in the last election, as did the, the NDP. Uh, but when you look at this, I'm kind of wondering if it is enough to satisfy voters who did turn the Liberals over this one policy platform. Because if you compare it, for example, to to the the number of uh, drugs that were covered under another Liberal government, Kathleen Wynne of Ontario, with her PharmaCare program, that was far more thousands more of drugs than what we're seeing here.
4: I think you have to look at the big picture on it, Michael. Um, in the time between when the Liberals were elected in 2015 and now, we've had a pandemic. Out of the pandemic, and well before, and then out of the pandemic, we had the Canada Child Benefit. We have a child care, a national child care agreement, we have a national dental care plan, and now we have the framework for our pharmacare program and the um, you know the proof of concept, the chance to see how we can do it and what's the best way to do it. So I think it's a responsible approach. It's the liberals can say they can point to very hard work that they've done to deliver things for Canadians to make things more affordable and included taking a huge step in terms of a National Pharmacare program. We've never had one before. The, the, the Liberals have to be responsible with the dollars that we do have. As a country, they have to manage the fiscal coffers too. So I think this is a good first step, a responsible first step, and it's also important to look at it in the context of all the other things they've helped to provide Canadians for uh, with in the next, over, over the past few years and that they have going forward.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, what do you think? Do you think people will be disappointed, satisfied here? I
6: I think time will tell on that. I mean, certainly congratulations, Dan, and the, the NDP. Getting more than they wanted is a good thing for them. I think the challenge for the deal, perhaps, is not what's in it, but the primary messenger, not Mr. Singh, but Mr. Trudeau, I mean, Look, it's not a partisan comment to say right now, if you look at the polls, he's not very popular, his government's not very popular, Uh, so will Canadians accept by uh, whatever the Prime Minister is selling, though some of it will be legislatively entrenched, what happens should he not become Prime Minister and all of that? I, I kind of wonder, is this a bit like liberal daycare at the end of the Martin regime when Mr. Dryden came forward with it and they'd hope they'd get a deal. Um, we'll see. I think ultimately, though, people will judge whether this is a good program or not by how quickly they're able to access uh, the, the medicine, the drugs that they need, and whether it truly will be uh, non-prohibitive to them or have, uh, have limited cost.
0: Well, you know, I do wonder about the timeline here, though, because you, you, when when you look at it, uh, yes, uh, immediately you're going to be covering these these two comprehensive drugs. Uh, however, w- there's also going to be an advisory body to to the, that's that will be struck to determine how a pharmacare program, national pharmacare program, could be paid for and rolled out. Essentially, it looks like it's kicking pharmacare once again down the road, and we're only what about a year away from another election.
5: Well. First of all, there there was not agreement um, uh, at the end of December or even into like a week or so ago uh, about the model to use, right? So, so we were very, very uh, insistent that it had to be single-payer, like the Canada Health Act says. Um, and, we, and and so we wanted to make sure that it was being delivered in a way, uh, the same way that our other parts of our healthcare system are, are delivered. The, the Liberals did not necessarily want that, and, and that was a real sticking point. So I think that uh, what the expert panel is going to do is look at the uh, you know what Minister Holland refers to is the proof of concept, right so we have the two classes of drugs that are being delivered through a single payer system, and then this expert panel will be looking at that and the financing. The other thing I want to say about that is there have been so many crazy numbers thrown around about uh, about this program i hear uh, I hear one and a half billion, I hear six billion I hear 40 billion uh i've heard as high as 60 billion dollars but all of the all of the reports and reviews that have been done have indicated that there are significant cost savings in addition to the positive health outcomes and so i think that the expert panel will be looking at how does it, how are these two classes being delivered, and how does that apply to the rest of the work that we have to do once we get the Canadian Drug Agency to develop the formulary of essential drugs?
0: Mm-hmm. Does that get to to your concern, Tim, about the the, the former uh, Mr. Ms. Minister Dryden with his own program?
6: Um, again, I, I think. Costs are obviously very important, and people are going to want to pay attention to that. Also, the uptake. We've seen provinces initially say, no, we're not going to touch it. Some say, let's see the details. I mean, there will be a requirement for provincial buy, and that uh, probably the nature of the the dynamic. Didn't allow for negotiations and had enough to negotiate, never mind negotiating with 10 provinces. But... That's important in this. Uh, as we saw with childcare and daycare, uh, the provinces eventually had to come on board, and all of them have, I think. So we'll see where they are. And there are some provinces, and Ann knows this, Susan knows this, who want to see spending in other areas first, would rather take the money and allocate it that way. That's going to be part and parcel of this exercise. That's why I say that's not going to fall to Mr. Singh. That's going to fall to Mr. Trudeau and or his government, which at the moment doesn't have the currency it did when it brought in daycare.
4: I think what will be important, I I agree with Tim in terms of the timing and things. It'll be interesting to see how the Conservatives respond to this because this is a multi-stage process. The legislation has been introduced today. It's got to go through the House and it's got to get passed. Then negotiations have to happen with the provinces and then the implementation of this proof-of-concept model uh, is put into place. I think it's a responsible approach in the sense that we know and I said on the show last week though I had the number wrong. I said that I work for an organi- I work for uh, a coalition of companies that do the benefits administration in the in the country and 97 percent of Canadians have some kind of drug coverage but this is a good way to test. It's through their employers or through other programs. I think this is a good way to test if, if this is the best way to get medication out for Canadians, this good. I think it's a good choice of medications to use. You know, 9 million women, they said, eligible. Nearly 4 million people are diabetics, and there's implications on the health care system when people don't take the medication that they need for their health situation. So it's going to take time, but Mr. Paliyev walked away from uh, the microphone when asked a question, not a complicated question, but he walked away, and it remains to be seen what... how his party's going to react to this and what kind of noise and what kind of hay they're going to make over something that can help
0: Canadians.
5: Okay. Well, and so there are provinces that are anxious to get going on this. That's the other thing. There are some that are, that are saying that they don't want any part of it, but they, uh, they often say that uh, and, and did say that around childcare as well. So I think that there will be pro- provinces that will kind of jump on board fairly quickly, and then I think other provinces will come in. Come in. And that, that is how Medicare was developed in this country.
0: Okay. Well, that is our time. Uh, thank you for this. A bit, very quick question, very quick answer. Do you get to rest now? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Well, well well-deserved rest if you get at least a couple of days. Uh, And Susan, Tim, thank you for the time. Thank you. changes are coming for Mexican nationals hoping to visit Canada as tourists. Starting tonight at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time, visa requirements will be reimposed after being lifted back in 2016. Now, this is an attempt by Ottawa to curb the number of asylum claims coming from Mexico, but certain visitors from that country will not need this extra layer of accreditation. And those are individuals who currently hold a U.S. non-immigrant visa, or have a Canadian visa within the last 10 years and are traveling by air with a Mexican passport. Well, to talk about this, we're now joined by the Minister for Immigration, Mark Miller. Minister, good to see you. Thank you for being here. Good evening, Michael. So, as we said, you know, by 11.30 Eastern tonight, tourists from Mexico will have to apply for a visa. But, interesting, it it does not affect the Foreign Workers Program. So, does this send a troubling message to Mexico that Canada wants your labour and nothing else?
2: Well, I think quite the contrary, Michael, in our discussions with the foreign minister and the ambassador uh, in particular, they stressed the importance of our commercial relationship uh, and we sought, obviously, to protect it. The benefits from that relationship are bilateral, but clearly they did appreciate the fact that the, uh, the, the unsustainable flow of Mexican foreign nationals that were coming ostensibly to visit uh, were in large part in large proportion percentage compared to peers uh, applying for asylum so uh, and at rates that we're not at sort of par what the Immigration Refugee Board accepted and that is something that uh, is troubling uh, and it sent a signal for the government of Canada to take action which is what we're doing today. Now uh, t- people that have had a visa with the US in the last 10 years or a visa with Canada in the last Ten years, so the two-year period before we remove the visa requirement, will be exempted from this, but the remainder, which we estimate to be about 40%, will have to go through biometrics and, uh, a- a- and the regular procedure that you have for a, for a visa as of uh, 1130 tonight.
0: Okay, not interrupting the the flow of commerce, as you say, although, you know, we have heard from the Mexican president, uh, López Obrador, and he calls this decision a a mistreatment, uh, as well as a stain on Mexico's prestige. Uh, Have you inadvertently insulted a continental partner here?
2: That is absolutely not the intention. I think as a sovereign government, we are taking the responsible step in making sure that we are controlling the flow uh, of, of people that had come in and sought asylum uh, in a proportion that wasn't the same as what the IRB was, w- was seeing. Uh, that was cr- creating incredible pressure on the system. About over 20,000 Mexican nationals applied for asylum last year. That is multiple times what had happened in previous years, so it was a signal to us to take the steps that we did take today, it, it is not something that we do lightly. Obviously, aware and respectful of that relationship that we have with our most imp- one of our most important allies and, and trading partners, but also understanding that these this flow is creating consequences, not only inside Canada, whether it's Ontario or Quebec, or flow into the U.S., which was also reaching proportions that were uh, significant, not as significant, obviously, as the flow that we see at the American border with Mexico, uh, but non-negligible at the same time, and Canada had to take action.
0: Okay, had to take action, but, you know, I I do want to get back, though, to to this idea that uh, some Mexican officials are taking this as an insult, because we have heard from foreign officials in that country, they say that uh, Mexico may... Uh, respond with its own policy in kind. Uh, Does that worry you uh, of anything about this affecting, you mentioned trade, but what about, for example, Canadian tourists?
2: I'm obviously concerned about what the impacts could be, but that is Mexico's right to take action. They realize that we are one of their most important trading partners and allies, and so obviously we expect any response to be measured in the circumstances, Uh, but notwithstanding those considerations, and they are considerable, we needed to take action in order to to stem this flow, which was reaching proportions that were completely untenable, and that is what we are doing today, uh, obviously in consideration of all those factors.
0: Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned uh, Ontario, you mentioned Quebec there and, and you know those provinces have asked uh, your government to address the number of, si- uh, of asylum seekers coming to this country uh, and as you know Quebec is in fact asking for a billion dollars in compensation to cover the costs it has had to pay they say to support and process asylum seekers. Is that something your government is willing to, to hand over to the government of Quebec?
2: well we need Quebec to justify those sums we have made considerable contributions to Quebec to support their disproportionate uh, the disproportionate impact of asylum seekers that have sought refuge in Quebec Um, we do understand that there is secondary migration notably to Ontario and so when it comes to the numbers and any time any government comes to us and asks us first for 500 million and then the next day uh, a, hundred, a billion dollars they need to justify it so we're always willing to sit down with them I have a, there's a table with my deputy minister and the deputy minister of finance to sort out the details uh, we are clearly of the position and of the opinion uh, that is supported by the Constitution that asylum seekers are the responsibility both of the federal government and of provincial governments so there's a question about parsing through the numbers and if there is um, if there's a good argument for compensation we're willing
0: to work on with it. Do you, you have them. a compensation amount that you think is justifiable to give to Quebec?
2: I do know. I I do not, but I think it's important to remember that under the Quebec Canada Accord, we have transferred over $5.2 billion to Quebec in the last, since 2015. Um, in addition to an overpayment of $700 million that occurred and we never claimed to have it back or required to have it back. So there are some discussions about the numbers that ideally are not had in public. Uh, Quebec has been very public about this. Uh, I don't think that's helpful to the relationship, but we're always willing to sit down and sort out some of these legitimate concerns as to who has responsibility over what, because we don't want this to be on the back of asylum
0: seekers. Uh, Quickly losing time here, Minister, but I do want to ask, because as you know very well, Mexicans uh, have been vilified by some politicians south of the border. What do you say to Mexican Canadians who may be insulted or hurt by what you have announced today?
2: Well, I think that is one of my largest concerns, Michael. We don't want the stigmatizations of of Mexicans to occur or any, any Hispanophones, South Americans, uh, because people tend to conflate them as well. Uh, it is clear that those Mexican nationals coming from Mexico in the, last w- the waves of the last two years are not entitled uh, to get redress under uh, the Immigration and Refugee Board. And, and, and seek proper asylum as protected persons, and that has had an impact on the system. When it comes to, for example, Colombians, that is quite a different situation. So people tend, sadly, uh, because of their preconceptions, to put everyone in the same bucket, and that's what we don't want. We don't want, uh, we don't want the stigmatization of people, Mexicans foremost, but generalizations to be made to cast aspersions on people who are here legitimately. Uh, clearly, uh, Mexican communities in Canada are loved, they're appreciated, they're needed, uh, and they themselves Uh, may also be asking the Canadian government, and I think that is worth digging into to take action because they don't see necessarily this as legitimate either. And so that um, is a consideration that we look at, but I don't want to see anyone in Canada who is of uh, Mexican descent or Mexican to be stigmatized.
0: Minister Mark Miller, I always appreciate the time. Thank you for that. Thank you, Michael. And that is Primetime Politics for this Thursday. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at CPAC, thank you for watching. Primetime Politics. We'll be back tomorrow night, but up next, Estee Bejin avec l'essentiel.